0: Welcome, everyone, to Episode 6. I am here with Christiana, and she is from Torrance, California. Now, Christiana has the most important job in the world. She is a stay-at-home mom of three kids, two here on Earth and one in Heaven. And I think that's going to figure in very strongly in the story that Christiana is going to share with us today. But welcome, Christiana. We're glad to have
1: you here. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. I'm really excited.
0: Well, I'm so glad to hear your story and for listeners to hear it. So what brought you to intermittent fasting?
1: So growing up, I never really struggled with my weight. In fact, the only struggle I had was that I was a little bit underweight. And when I was 12, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. But even then, my weight was never really an issue through college and even when I was first married. And then I had my first child. And I was breastfeeding him for quite a while. And so I still wasn't worried about my weight. I was really just focused on nourishing my child. And then I got pregnant with my second child. And that's when things kind of went crazy in my life. And I went through a lot of different things. At 24 weeks, my daughter was diagnosed with a congenital heart defect And then I gave birth to her and she needed immediate intervention. It was like a really traumatic birth experience. I didn't get to see her. I didn't get to hold her. It was nothing, nothing like what I would have wanted. Oh gosh, that is, I can't even imagine you as a mother myself.
0: So you knew from 24 weeks of the pregnancy on that this was going to be a problem?
1: Yeah, we did. We knew. Uh, Yeah, it's like every mom's worst nightmare. You just want your kids to be okay. That's right. And how old was your
0: oldest child at this time? He was
1: two. He had just turned two. I mean, while we love our toddlers, they're precious. It's not an easy age, right? It is definitely not an easy age. And our oldest actually has some special needs too. And so that made it especially hard for sure.
0: Absolutely. So keep going with your story. What happened next after she was born with that heart defect?
1: Okay. So after she was born at three days old, she had open heart surgery and the typical plan for a baby with her heart defect is to have a surgery at about three days old and then around like four to six months old, and then when they're a toddler. And so she had that first surgery and it went okay. You know, we are just so relieved she made it through it, but it was a long recovery and she never really quite got healthy. She was just still very sickly. And so we spent most of the next four months in the hospital, um, usually in the pediatric ICU unit. And eventually it was determined that she wasn't a candidate for that second surgery. Oh, that's awful. Yes. It was, you know, Janet completely threw us off because that was that plan we had prepared for. And I'm a researcher. And so the rest of my pregnancy, after we got her diagnosis, I did all the research and I knew the plan and I knew this is what we would do. We'd have the first surgery and then the second surgery. Right. The surgeon told us that wasn't an option.
0: It was very devastating. I can only imagine. I'm sure you were optimistic at the time, right?
1: Exactly. And so what they ended up doing was listing her for a heart transplant. Wow. And at this time, she was four months old? She was about three and a half months old, yes. Yes. And so that process is not an easy process at all. It took several days for her to actually get listed because the doctors want to make sure that we as her parents were responsible and able to take care of this precious gift of a donor heart. And so you go through lots of meetings with doctors and psychologists and the social worker and everything. And then once they determine we're good to go, then they finally listed her. And she was listed as the highest priority. And so we took a lot of hope in that because that meant that if a little tiny heart became available, that she would be one of the first to get it. And so we just stayed really optimistic and focused on spending time with our daughter, spending time with Jaylee, and really preparing ourselves for how to take care of her after her heart transplant. We were really almost certain that she would get a heart. We didn't really think about the fact that that might not happen. Unfortunately, she didn't get a heart. And at four months old and nine days, her numbers were just really bad. And the doctors did everything they could do. And there was nothing they could do to save her. And so we lost her. What a terrible moment.
0: I know that all of us that are parents just grieve with you. We can't
1: imagine how hard this was to go through. Yeah, thank you, Jen. It was I mean, the worst thing I could ever imagine. It's it's just as horrible as you would expect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and you were in the hospital pretty much with her probably all the time, right? Exactly. We we had a lot of family support, and so what happened is during that 4 months, my parents got us an apartment right by the hospital. And so my parents and my husband and I and our oldest, Ezekiel, you know, we had that apartment, but one of us was always with Jaylee. And so I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful that we were so present and enjoyed that time with her and got to know her little personality. And that was really, really a precious gift.
0: I know you treasure all those moments of those four months and nine days, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So does your son remember that time period? I know he was young. Yes, he was young, but you know he has high-functioning autism. And one of the things with how his brain works is he has this incredible memory. He will tell us about things when he was one or two years old that we've never talked about. And now that he has the words to describe it, he will tell us about it. So he remembers very specific memories with Jaylee, and he still talks about her pretty much every day. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You know, they had that bond even with that short time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So as you can imagine, after we lost her, it was just such a horrible time, such a traumatic time, just deep, deep trauma. And I think it just threw my body, like it just broke my body basically. And you know, I went and saw my doctor. I had been putting on some weight, and I went and saw my endocrinologist. And my numbers looked okay, but he said, "Why don't we try switching you?" I was on a level thyroxine for my Hashimoto's, and we decided to switch over to Armour, which is a different type of medication. And a little bit, you know, I'm always looking for like the more natural option, and I felt like it was a little bit more natural. And so we switched over, and I just continued to gain weight and just feel awful. But I really was focused on my oldest child. And during that time, we actually decided to start the process for adoption. And so I was really focused on that. And I was still producing breast milk because I had been pumping milk for Jaylee in the hospital. And I decided I wanted to be able to breastfeed our child who we would eventually adopt. And so I was pumping. How long from a period of time between that and you were actually able to adopt? So it was about a 10 month gap between when Jaylee passed away and when our third child was born. And so during that time, I was actually pumping milk. And actually, Ezekiel was still nursing. I know some people might think that's crazy. He was two and a half, three at the time. But, you know, this. Sweet little boy had just gone through losing his sister and he has all these special needs and I just couldn't get him to wean and I refused to force it. Oh, I think
0: that we all understand that as parents, right? Yeah. And you know, every kid is different. And so I totally understand that a child may need a longer period of nursing than another.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it actually worked out really well because he was nursing a little bit and I was pumping and then our sweet, precious third child was born August, 2017. Oh. And I was able to breastfeed him. And so I was really just focused on, well, you know how it is with a newborn. You're just focused on getting through, getting a little sleep, making sure they're getting everything that they need. And I was really just focused on my milk supply. But meanwhile, my body was continuing to fall apart and I was continuing to put on weight. And just really feeling horrible, I kind of blamed it on the grief or on the lack of sleep. And I just wasn't taking good care of myself at all.
0: Well, you know, I think that's really true. You know, our bodies respond to stress. And also to not getting enough sleep by, you know, feeling like, oh, gosh, something's wrong. Our bodies know that. So people do frequently gain a lot of weight during these periods of stress because our bodies don't necessarily understand that this isn't like a food emergency because so often biologically, these periods of stress were also coupled with food emergencies. So our bodies feel like they need to hang on to everything.
1: And then we have that weight gain. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was just, I was focused on my kids, not thinking about my health, but eventually in the spring, I decided to go back to my doctor and my thyroid wasn't looking too great. And so he increased my thyroid medication. He increased the armor and we thought that would help, but it didn't. And I went back in July and my TSH was a 64. So for anyone familiar with, thyroid conditions, you know, usually you want your TSH below like a 3.5 and mine was 64. Oh yeah, that's a good bit higher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The doctor was shocked and said he hadn't really seen that before. And he even talked about like admitting me to the hospital. You know, I was taking this medication every day, but for some reason my body was not accepting the armor thyroid which I think usually people tend to do better on armor than the level of thyroxine, but that was just not the case for me.
0: So did you go back to the other one? Did you switch back? I
1: did. I switched back to my typical dose that I was on to the level of thyroxine, and we kind of came up with the plan. But, you know, it really takes a while for your thyroid to adjust. It's not like, oh, you take, you know, the right dose one day, and then you feel better. It can take several weeks. And so um, this was in July. And during that time, my milk supply completely dried up. The baby is 11 months old. So thankfully, you know, he was okay. Like he didn't necessarily need it anymore, but my milk dried up. And so I was finally more focused on all this weight I had gained. I'd gained quite a bit of weight, about 24 pounds more than my typical weight. Which for some people might not seem like a lot, but I'm short and I'm a small frame, and it all seemed to just go to my belly. You know, we talk to people who lost
0: 100 pounds or 85 pounds or whatever. And, you know, that's people who have struggled with obesity their whole life. And so that's one side of it. But for someone who never had a weight problem like you, 24 pounds just out of the blue. You know, if you've never had to think about your weight before and now all of a sudden, boom, you know,
1: we don't want to discount that. That's a big change for you. It really was. And you know what? Really, the worst part about it was that when I would be out and about, people would ask me, oh, how far along are you? Are you having a boy or a girl? They thought I was pregnant. And I had just lost this baby. Uh, So people of the world,
0: I would like to tell you this right now. This is just a little note from Jen and from Christiana. Do not ask someone who is a stranger if they are pregnant unless they are like literally telling you that they're pregnant because you don't know what they've been through and what an awful
1: question to have to deal with. That was horrible. And it didn't just happen once or twice. Like, you know, and looking back in the pictures, I really did look pregnant. It just all went to my stomach. but. It was super traumatic and it really just made me not want to go anywhere because I was so paranoid of getting asked that question.
0: And I think that also goes along with the fact that it was related to stress because when you have an increase in cortisol and stress, we put on that abdominal weight, I think. So that explains it even more. Yeah. So when did you get to
1: intermittent fasting? When did that come around? So in July, you know, I was finally done nursing and able to think about my weight and I had been researching a little bit about weight loss. And so the first thing I did was I tried keto. I tried keto for about a week and I lost a few pounds, but I hated it. Like I was miserable. And it wasn't just like the keto flu. Like I took my electrolytes. I did all that. But my anxiety and my depression increased. Just everything. I was a mess. See, I get that because... I'm the same way, and I know
0: that people who love keto are probably listening to this right now. There's probably keto lovers out there, and I get it, y'all. If you feel great on keto, you're going to say, oh, Christiana just didn't give it long enough. Oh, if she had just tried it, it would be best for her. But I went through the same thing with keto, and I bought into it fully. This is in the summer of 2014. I did it for probably almost three months nonstop changing my macros, tweaking it, and I never felt better. So I really do 100% believe there are people that keto is life-changing for. But I also know that there are people like you and I,
1: Christiana, who do not feel better on keto. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And I felt like a failure. I felt like, oh, I should give it more time. But I really just needed to take care of my health at this point. Right. And I've also heard since then that keto isn't always recommended for people with Hashimoto's. And I know maybe there are some people that thrive on it. Like you said, there's people that do great on it, but it really made sense for me looking back that it was just not the right fit for me. Right. I understand that completely. So
0: keto wasn't feeling right. So what happened next?
1: So keto wasn't feeling right. And during my research looking for some weight loss options, I had also run into intermittent fasting. It was not delay, don't deny, just some other stuff out there. And I had joined a few groups, not your groups. And so I started fasting and I loved it. Like it worked. I felt great. I was losing a little bit of weight, but I wasn't clean fasting. I would have like a diet energy drink or a flavored sparkling water. And about two weeks into it, I think somewhere like on Facebook, I saw a link to one of your other podcasts, Jen. Right. The Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Yes. And so I started listening to that and it was mind-blowing It was just so helpful. I got into all your Facebook groups and I got your book and I started clean fasting and I started feeling better and I started losing more weight and that is where my intermittent fasting journey really took off.
0: Oh, I love that because
1: I think a lot of people,
0: you know, myself included, if you've read Delay, Don't Deny, everybody knows. I fully admit that I did not understand clean fasting myself. And really, if you'd have asked me all along when I just started, I thought it was just, you know, because we were, quote, eating less calories, right? (laughs) So, (laughs) So I didn't understand how the body worked and it's taken me years to get to this point. But When you do it the wrong way for a while and then you learn about the difference that it makes to fast clean, it's really just striking. It really is. And it's been such a huge difference. So like, was it a difference with hunger and that sort of thing?
1: Well, you know, I'll be honest. I think in the beginning it helped with the transition in, but then, yes, I felt better. And I think just the weight was coming off a little bit quicker while I was clean fasting. The the diet energy drink I was drinking had an appetite suppressant, and so I don't necessarily think I noticed more hunger with fasting I probably wasn't getting, I definitely wasn't getting all the benefits that I'm now getting clean fasting with autophagy. Yeah,
0: autophagy. That's, you can hear other people say it differently. I think people in like Australia pronounce it differently, but yeah, autophagy is. (laughs) I've never said that word out loud until now. I'm like, wait a second. Well, you did a good job. You nailed it for your first time. Yeah, there's a lot of words like that, that you've read them a million times. You're like, but wait, how do I say it? Yes, (laughs) yes. great job with that. Yeah, I think that makes such a difference. And people don't, like I said, they don't understand. And I did not either at first. And really, it was the obesity code Mm -hmm. that taught me about how our body responds to the sweet tastes. And people are like, well, it's zero calories. It shouldn't matter. But it really does. It makes a difference. what a day is like for you? What is your intermittent fasting style or pattern and
1: how how do you structure it? Yeah, so it's really evolved over time. In the beginning, I was actually doing a lot of like 24 to 36 hour fast, not every day, but a couple days a week. But I've really settled into like a 24 pattern. So fasting 20 hours, eating four, sometimes it's a 21-3 pattern. That's what I've really found has worked for me. If I try to do a shorter window, what I found is I'm not eating enough in that window and then I get really hungry and I end up eating again outside of my eating window. Yeah.
0: I think that's an important point because so often people think, well, if a four hour window is good, then a two hour window would be even better. And how about a one hour window? And what if I just eat one plate of food? Exactly. It's not a case of, You know, the longer the fast is always going to be better. You have to pay attention to how you feel. And,
1: you know, some people even do better with a six-hour window or an eight-hour window. Exactly. That was, you know, I went through those stages of like, oh, the smaller the window, the better. But that's definitely not the case necessarily. So the best spot for me is that three to four-hour window. And I'm also not super strict. I'm strict with clean fasting, but I'm not strict with keeping to that window. My window can vary day to day. You know, I have children, and so I want to be able to celebrate, you know, special things with them or go get a treat with them or whatever it might be. So I really do adjust that window to where it needs to be so that I'm not missing out on things.
0: See, I think that's so important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. You know, I started off, Jen, like you, with an eating window in the evening. But I have now moved it up to lunchtime because what I was finding is I would eat dinner and then I would go to bed. I usually go to bed pretty early because I have young kids and I would wake up in the morning and still feel like full and bloated, like I hadn't digested my food. And then I would kind of just feel bloated the next day and I wasn't seeing the weight loss I wanted either. And so about maybe five, six weeks ago, I switched my window to more of a lunchtime window. And it's been fantastic for me.
0: Oh, that's great. See, there's a mistaken idea that there's one way to do this or one time your eating windows should be. And I hear from people who have a morning window and love it people who have an eating window like me and love it and people who do really
1: well with the lunchtime window like you are. Yeah, exactly. And it's really nice. My husband is able to come home for lunch. So what I've started doing is making that like our main meal, you know, I cook, maybe I make a casserole or whatever. Uh It's worked out really well. And so I'm very happy with it. And that might not always be my window. And once I hit the maintenance stage, I'm looking forward to increasing that window a little bit more and having dinner more days but right now it's working great for me.
0: Yeah, I love
1: that because we've just really got to
0: experiment. If you're not feeling well, like you are not, you had the bloating in the morning. And so you said, how can I tweak this? And you figured out a way to do it that felt better.
1: Exactly.
0: That's an important lesson for everybody. You know, so many people want there to be a, a one answer. Like I said, you know, we're hearing chatter that, oh, everyone should have a morning eating mm-hmm. window, but that's just not the case. It's just what works for you. If I had a morning window, I can tell you right now, I would not be successful. (laughs) Or even a lunchtime window. I eat too much. I'd get hungry later. For me, it's an evening window. But the experimenting is what is so important. Now, does your husband do intermittent fasting at all?
1: No, he does not. I knew you were going to ask me that. And I told him you were going to probably ask me that (laughs) and that I was going to call him out because he's thought about it, but he's still in that you know, I'm going to get shaky or I'm going to get dizzy or whatever. So, you know, my my mom is doing it. And a lot of our family and friends have started doing it with us as well, which has been awesome. And I'm sure eventually my husband will get on board. He's very supportive of me doing it, which is great. Yes. That's good. Now, does he struggle with his weight at all? No, no. I mean, he never has. I think he's gone through All the trauma I've gone through. And so he's put on a few pounds. He just turned 30. And so, you know, around that time, your metabolism slows down, but he's definitely not in a place where he has to worry about it. Yeah. Well, my husband didn't do it. I mean, he's always been
0: really lean and could wear the same clothes from when we got married back in 1991. So. (laughs) But he actually started doing intermittent fasting after watching me do it for so many years, strictly for the health benefits. So now he does it too. He has about an eight-hour window, and he eats two meals a day. Okay. And he's 47 right now. He's about to be 48. I'm 49. See, so I'm the older woman. <laughs> but <laughs> he looks so much more youthful, which is why I'm telling his age, mm-hmm. than he did a few years ago. Once he started intermittent fasting, he just looks younger. Yeah like more boyish, you know, instead of getting older, he looks like he's getting younger. So I think he feels really good too, but he did have to have all of his clothes altered. Now they're too big, (laughs) (laughs) but he's always been little. I mean, he was like 32 inch waist always. And now he's like 31. Oh my goodness. So. He's just a lean guy, but he's doing it for the health benefits and he feels great. And he doesn't like the way he feels if he eats all day anymore.
1: Got it. Yeah. There's so many other reasons to fast other than just weight loss. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Because he did not want to lose weight. He was like, I don't want to lose weight. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think, you know, you mentioned the feeling of being underweight at times of your life. And he felt like that too. He felt like he was quote, you know, skinny Mm -hmm. and he didn't want to be like that. And so he had to struggle with the idea of, gosh, you know, I might be leaner than I was hoping to be, but I think he looks fabulous and he's certainly not too skinny. He just looks really healthy to
1: me. That's wonderful. It's so wonderful.
0: It really is. So have you seen any other health benefits besides the weight loss? I know you talked about your struggle with your thyroid. Have you seen any differences with that?
1: Yes. So I went back to my endocrinologist about maybe a month into fasting, so a couple months ago. And believe it or not, I've switched from extremely hypo to now I'm hyperthyroid. That's interesting. Yes. You know, and it's not good to be hyperthyroid either. But what that means basically is that he needed to decrease my medication, which is my ultimate goal. So I'm extremely happy with that. Is he somebody who's knowledgeable about intermittent fasting? You know, I brought it up to him and he seemed very supportive and he thought it was a very good idea and he said he was familiar with it, but I don't know how familiar with it he is. Okay. So I'm excited to go back and see him with even more results. He knew I was wanting to lose weight and I'm excited to go back and and to be able to share with him how much it's helped me. So he can then learn about it and... Share it with other people. Exactly. That's exactly. Awesome. I've told so many people about it. But
0: the good news is that he's open minded.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah. I know some doctors will just say, oh, don't do that fasting thing. But he he said, if you feel good doing it, do it. So I'm thankful for that. So I've noticed a lot of physical, you know, the weight loss, but also just My skin's looking better. I've always had really dark circles around my eyes. And the other day, my sister-in-law said, I think your dark circles have lightened. And I said, I think you're right. I thought I was crazy. But if you're seeing it, then maybe I'm not.
0: That's a good one.
1: Yeah. Yes. So many things like that. You know, I'm finally able to get like my wedding ring back on. People aren't asking me if I'm pregnant anymore. That's good. Yes. So those are a lot of the physical benefits, but I'm also experiencing a lot of emotional benefits as well. Yeah. Tell us about those. Yeah. So for anyone who's gone through, you know, loss and trauma and grief or just, you know, even depression or anxiety, it's not that anything necessarily is going to make it better you know nothing is going to make the fact that i've lost my child better there are things i do to cope and intermittent fasting has been one of those things that has been a healthy coping mechanism for me and i've noticed an increase in energy and a decrease in my anxiety and my depressive symptoms In fact, so much so that I've been able to wean off of the antidepressant I was on with the help of my doctor. Oh,
0: that's fabulous. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned (laughs) that, that you worked with your doctor on that because, you know, we don't advocate (laughs) going off of medications just willy-nilly. So yeah, working with your doctor is
1: important. So yes, exactly. And don't be discouraged. You know, if you can't get off your antidepressant, that's fine too. Like don't put that pressure on yourself, but it has been something that I've been able to do. So that's been really, really great for me. And I, you know, I struggled with feeling very ungrounded going through trauma for these past few years where I would just feel very out of touch with my surroundings. And sometimes like I was kind of floating a little bit. Right. And I definitely think that the fasting has helped me feel more grounded. That's so important. I love hearing that. Yeah. Also, you know, I'm a Christian and I know a lot of Christians fast for religious reasons. And I went through this process of if I'm fasting for weight loss, I don't feel like it's right to also be like, oh, I'm doing this for spiritual reasons. I felt like they're very separated because I felt like the weight loss was kind of selfish and that didn't tie into the spiritual aspect of it. But what I found is while fasting, I definitely just have a clear head and so I'm able to focus better when I'm praying or when I'm reading the Bible or whatever. And that was something I definitely did not expect.
0: Well, you know, I think there's a reason why all the major religions have fasting as part of their religious practice. Exactly. I yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's not just Christianity. Christianity, of course, does have the fasting tradition, but it's all of them. So I think that it's something that you know, has been almost lost in modern day, the fact that fasting does reconnect us with our spiritual side, and Mm -hmm. we don't want to think of it as separate, you know, and regardless of a person's spirituality, fasting
1: fits into it just beautifully. I'm glad you found that to be true. I have as well. That's great. Yeah. It's been really wonderful. And I think it's also just made me be able to focus more with my children, you know, with young children, you have to really be on point because oh, yeah. they are going a million miles per minute. So it's helped me with that. And it's not that I don't ever comfort eat anymore. I will admit there's times I definitely do but it's not 24-7 anymore. Well, I think that if
0: we weren't supposed to
1: ever comfort eat, food wouldn't be so
0: comforting, right? <laughs> I mean <laughs> – That's true. We take pleasure from food for a reason. You know, our brains are wired to take pleasure from food. And then so many of us are like, oh, I shouldn't. Well, you know what? Yeah. (laughs) You talked about how you nursed your son because it helped him feel comforted. And I think we could do that too. I mean, we don't want to
1: go nuts, you know, with comfort eating, but. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely like helped me to have a hold on it where I don't feel like it's out of control and I don't feel guilty when I comfort eat. Right. And it's usually in that window and you know, there's been days where I've had a short window at lunch and then I've, I don't want to say failed or cheated because you know, it's not cheating. It's a conscious decision, but I've really just learning to listen to my body. And sometimes there's times where I'm like, you know what? I really do think I need to eat dinner today. And so I really feel like the fasting has put me so much more in tune with my body and what my body needs. Instead of just stuffing my face because it tastes good or because I'm stressed out or because mommy needs a minute and there's cookies in the kitchen.
0: Right. You know, we hear this a lot. I had a background with intuitive eating and I I totally failed (laughs) at intuitive eating. I tried and tried it, but I apparently lost connection with all of my hunger and satiety signals when I ate all day long. But intermittent fasting has put me back in touch with them. Yes. And so finally, I understand what the intuitive eating coaches or the book writers who write about intuitive eating were talking about when they said, listen to your body. I'm like, oh, because now I can finally hear it. And like you said, a day that your body tells you you need to eat more food and have a longer window, that's not cheating. Mm -hmm. That's listening. And so I think that if you couple the two together, intermittent fasting and intuitive eating, there's that magical place where you learn to trust yourself.
1: Absolutely, and it just becomes really natural too, like it's not something I have to think about really hard. I just kind of know,
0: yeah, I get it, and people who have not tried intermittent fasting for themselves, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. They think that you know we're constantly have to probably be
1: worrying about food, but it gets rid of all that exactly it really it decreases another thing I need to do in my life. I don't have to worry about food all the time, and you know when we were going through all that trauma after losing Jaylee and my son was receiving his autism diagnosis and we're waiting to be matched with a baby to adopt. It was just such a hard time. And I, I would just comfort eat all the time. You know, I'd start my morning, I'd go to Starbucks and then the morning would be rough and I'd open up a bag of chips. And then, you know, the afternoon I'd go on a drive with my son and I'd go pick up another treat. And it was just, all day long and I felt so bad about it and it just it wasn't like a healthy place to be in at all and so it's just been so freeing to get out of that place and to find other ways to cope and fasting makes me feel good so that's a coping mechanism in itself right but I've been writing more and just seeking out other hobbies because I'm not feeling that stress with food I'm filling it with other more fulfilling things Well, you know, we hear that word over and over again, freedom. Mm -hmm.
0: For someone, like I said, who hasn't tried it, it may sound restrictive and like you're less free, but it somehow it just opens us up and frees us in a way that we don't expect. Yes. That's the magic. Now, has it changed your taste in food at all? I know we hear that a lot. People suddenly are interested in foods they didn't like before or (laughs) trying new things.
1: Have your food preferences changed at all? You know, it's funny. I know sometimes we talk in the Facebook groups about becoming a food snob. Yeah. (laughs) It's always kind of been a food snob. Growing up, I always liked nicer, more expensive food. I never liked like mac and cheese. I wanted the steak or whatever. So I think fasting has made me more of a food snob. The other day, my husband and I had an opportunity to have like a short date night. And so he said, why don't we just pick up some fast food and then go mini golfing or something? And I said, well, that's fine. You can pick up fast food. We don't have to go somewhere nice. But if we're going to go to fast food, I'm not reopening my window. (laughs) It's true. It's not window worthy. Exactly. I say that so many times. It has to be window worthy, right? Exactly. And my mom (laughs) does the fasting now with me. And so we always joke about that. Like, let's find something window worthy. Absolutely. But it's funny, a couple weeks into fasting, sometimes I think the process I went through looks a little bit different than other people's I've heard about. Where in the beginning, I you know, could fast a really long time. And then all of a sudden, food didn't taste good to me. It was almost like everything I ate just tasted kind of gross. And I was really worried like, oh, is this how it's going to be? And the things I normally liked, I wasn't really craving at the time. But that only lasted a week or two at most. And then I went right back to enjoying food again. That's so interesting. I guess I just want to put that out there in case anyone goes through that to just stick with it You know, i've read a lot about breastfeeding and lactation and they always tell new moms to give yourself six weeks Like if breastfeeding is really important to you give it six weeks before you quit Of course, if you quit sooner, that's fine. Don't beat yourself up But if it's really what you want to do give it six weeks and so That's the mindset I have with fasting it might take even longer but Give yourself at least six weeks before you give up because in the beginning, there's so many different little like stages and phases you go through and and you're noticing all these different things and then it all kind of like evens out after a few weeks. Yeah.
0: That's so important. Just this morning, somebody was posting in, in one of the Facebook groups. They were like, I've been doing this a week and I don't have the energy everyone's talking about. What should I do? <laughs> and I'm like, well... <laughs> <laughs> you're going to need a lot more than a week.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: You know, you don't pivot on a dime when it comes to teaching your body how to do intermittent fasting.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is if you're doing it and you're feeling okay and you quit, like what's the alternative, you know? Right. You've done all the research and I know you talk about in your book all the different diets you've tried. And what's the alternative is like going to a different one. That's probably not going to work for you. Right. So I always just encourage people when I talk to them about it, to give it time and to be patient with yourself. And, you know, it's interesting. I was losing weight, but I wasn't losing inches. And I know for a lot of people, it's the opposite. Right. Finally, I'm starting to see the inches come off now, but I feel like there's a lot maybe on the inside that needed to come up first.
0: Yeah. You know, I've actually heard that theory that some people need to lose visceral fat. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have fat around your internal organs and your body is going to prioritize what it wants to work on first. Mm -hmm. And it may not be, you know, what you were expecting it to work on first. So give it some time. We hear all sorts of things. Some people lose inches before they lose pounds. And they're like, what's wrong with me? And then other people lose pounds before they lose inches and they say, what's wrong with me? And really, no, nothing's wrong with you. It's it's your body making a choice of what to tackle first. Exactly. If only we could just direct that process
1: a little more, right? (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing. I always just wish I could like pick the part of my body where the weight would just fall off.
0: (laughs) It's like, hey, body, how about this little
1: pouch right here? Yes, (laughs) if I tap three times, this is where I want the weight to come off. (laughs) (laughs) So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you.
0: So is there anything that you struggle with with intermittent fasting?
1: I would say caffeine because I still don't like black coffee. I still don't like just plain tea. And several times I've bought these things thinking they're just plain caffeine and then I get it and there's stevia or something in it. So sometimes I find myself opening my window earlier in the morning than I'd like just because I really want caffeine with sugar in it. Yeah. And you
0: know, that's a decision you can make. It's okay to open early if you have to.
1: Yeah. And that's another reason why that earlier window has worked for me. Because I don't want to drink black coffee all day and then have it uh, eating window in the evening. So it's working out, but it's still, that is probably the hardest challenge of having, you know, young kids and not sleeping well and waking up and just wanting that coffee with cream and sugar or whatever. Yeah.
0: Coffee is just the stumbling block for so many.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And that's why, you know, I, all things happen for a reason. And that's one of the reasons I'm not too upset that I started fasting dirty because I do think it helped with that transition. And I think maybe it's Dr. Fung that talks about, you know, some people use that as a crutch yeah, as a crutch. Yeah. And I know you don't always advocate that and it's not always a good idea, but it did work for me. And I'm thankful because the place I was in I don't know if I would have given up the first day if I started fasting clean.
0: Yeah. And I think that's his point with it, that people can use it as, Kind of a crutch Mm -hmm. to get them used to the whole idea of fasting and then over time let that go. Yeah.
1: And now I do drink black coffee, but I just don't enjoy it. You don't love it. I drink it iced and I just try to drink it as fast as I can and I make a face and then I go on with my day. (laughs) It's your daily medicine to get you
0: started. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I get it. I totally get it. Gosh, we're going to be out of time soon, but before we go, I would like to hear what would be your best advice for somebody who's just starting out or what do you wish you knew when you first started?
1: I think like I mentioned early, just give yourself time. Don't give up and don't be afraid to play with your window to experiment. You know, what's going to work best for your lifestyle? Because like I said, I had that evening window and it wasn't really working for me, but I was kind of terrified to move it up. And it took a few days, a few really hard days to adjust to having a lunchtime window. But now it's working out so well for me and I can't imagine having an evening window. So don't give up. Don't be afraid to experiment to make it work for you and what's going to work for you and your family. And I also think it's important to still, you know, continue your lifestyle, continue socializing It's not something that you want to just miss out on all these outings or all these times with your family because you're fasting. Sometimes you just need to adjust your window. And, you know, I have this mom's group at my church on Thursday mornings. And so that day I just open my window a little earlier and I close it a little earlier and it works out great. Rather than just sitting there like, oh, I'm on this intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm not going to eat, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that's important. You don't let it make you feel like you're missing out.
1: Exactly. And that's what keeps me doing it. That's what's different than every other diet. That's what's different with keto. That's what's different from, you know, all of these other things is that it doesn't have to rule your life. It's flexible and it's forgiving. You know, if you open your window a little earlier, you're not all of a sudden going to have all these problems or be thrown off track. And I know a lot of people go in and they want the structure. So they want the same window every day, but that just hasn't worked for me. I'm starting to fall into that more and more, but the past several months that just wasn't working for me. And I really was changing, you know, some days I'd have a 24 hour fast, some days I'd have a 19 hour fast and that's okay too. I know something you say, Jen, is that it all works out in the end. It all kind of equalizes. right? So that's been really helpful for me.
0: Yeah. Some people like to focus on the length of the fast. And like I know people who are very, very successful and they say, okay, I I have to get at least a blank fast every day. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's 16 or maybe it's 18. And that is what works for them. They feel successful as long as they've made that 18 hour fast a day or a 19 hour fast. Whereas some people, the opposite. They're like, as long as I never exceed, you know, a blank hour window or eight hours or five hours, Mm -hmm. that works really well for them. But neither is better, and neither is wrong, and it does all average out. Because if you focus on the fast, then your eating window averages out. And if you focus on the eating window, your fast averages out. So it's not really something you need to stress over. You just need to find what approach feels better for
1: you. And if what you're doing is stressing you out, flip-flop it. Try it the other way. Yeah, exactly. Then the only other thing I would say is to anyone listening who's going through grief or depression or anxiety or any of these really heavy things, I definitely think intermittent fasting has just been so helpful for me. And so I really recommend trying it, but also just be gentle with yourself and don't let it control your mental health because that can easily happen, but just let it be a tool.
0: That's really valuable advice right there. This has been a fabulous conversation, Christiana, and thank you for sharing your story. And I know that you have helped some people greatly today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jen. It's been really, really fun. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at dot com, and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story.